0: Hey, it's Konzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
1: Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Konzano's Baldface Truth.
0: Well, 24 hours from now, a little bit less than 24 hours from now, Oregon State and Washington State will find themselves... In Whitman County Superior Court. In front of Judge Gary Leiby. Oregon State and Washington State are seeking clarity on the governance of the PAC-12 conference. They would like to have the board seats and the control of the conference. Thank you very much. Meanwhile, the 10 departing members of the conference, to various degrees, have pushed back. University of Washington, of course, because they're under the jurisdiction of the court. George Kliovkov, Pac-12 Commissioner named in lawsuit. All pushing back. I expect that the judge in this case, Gary Leiby, he may rule from the bench tomorrow. He may decide, you know what, I need some more time with this. I'll get back to you in a day or two. Regardless, I anticipate an appeal. I anticipate that Washington, University of Washington, continue, will continue to ask the Supreme Court of the state of Washington to get involved. This goes way beyond the scope of my expertise. This court stuff is out of my court of comfort. So I reached out to an attorney who deals in such things. Matthew Wand is a uh, graduate of the Northwestern School of Law, Lewis and Clark College. He is an experienced general counsel. He's worked in real estate and construction and industry and private practice and government experience and public policy. And this is a guy that uh, not only has a law degree, he's got real experience being in courtrooms like this, dealing with court cases like this. And beyond that, he has a little bit of experience as well as a Sports fan, so he kind of understands what's going on with the Pac-12 in general. So I wanted to bring Matthew on to let him kind of give us a little bit of a scouting report, so to speak, on what might go down tomorrow in Colfax in Whitman County Superior Court. Matthew Wand, attorney at law, joining us now. Matthew, how you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on this afternoon, John.
0: What do you like? What is this like for you? Because I know you're a sports fan. When some legal matters all of a sudden start creeping into, you know, your your normal diversion that is college
1: athletics. This is almost as exciting as uh, me seeing my favorite team in the Pac-12 championship.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So <laughs> so I've been pouring through documents, discovery. You know, a lot of my text messages with George Kliavkoff and emails have popped up in discovery. It's weird for me to see that, but give me yeah, an idea. Give me an idea. you know, as you sort of approach this from a legal standpoint, what do you make of it? What's at stake tomorrow? What are you looking for?
1: Well, I hope the first question the judge asks the departing members of the PAC 12 when they start the hearing tomorrow is, do you think you can rescind your withdrawal? Uh, because when, when you look at bylaws like this, the court is required, to give effect to all of the sentences of words that are in the written document. And there, is, there are, are sentences at the beginning of the section and a sentence at the end that use the term notice of withdrawal. And, um, you know, there's, there's the potential of having multiple different ways of looking at that phrase. And, but it all comes down to do you guys think you can change your mind? If they say no, we can't change our minds we're out there's no way out now uh they're gonna have a long day why is that the court has to interpret i don't want to be too boring but the court has to interpret the words on the page and they have to give effect to every sentence and the the only time they get to consider uh the, what is subjectively in somebody's mind is if the words on the page are ambiguous right if it has more than one reasonable meaning then the court can look into a course of conduct and uh, what the parties intended and other types of uh, maxims of construction is what we call them so it, it seems to me that uh, if the withdrawing schools admit that they can't change their minds then all of the discussion about what might happen and what oregon state and washington state might do how it might hurt them financially or in the future, those things don't matter. The last sentence really says the whole story. If you depart, if you tell us you're leaving, then you don't get to be on the board of directors anymore.
0: Is there a way that – because I think the big concern for the 10 departing members is that Oregon State, Washington State are going to get control of the board, and they're going to say, hey, the $420 million that's coming in this year – that everybody thought they were entitled to, well, we're not going to share that equally. It, is there a way to protect, can the judge kind of walk the middle ground and say, look, I'm going to give the board seats to Oregon State, Washington State, but you can't act, uh, you know, in a non-fiduciary way towards the other ten members between now and when they depart?
1: Yeah, but remember, this isn't the this isn't the only kick at the can, so to speak. So the the question before the judge tomorrow will be to decide whether for the next 14 days mm-hmm. or, or three months until the Court of Appeals can get their hands on it, who's on the Board of Directors. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the judge is going to make that call. Uh, hopefully, he, I mean, it was shocking to me when he ruled from the bench on the temporary restraining order, so I expect that he'll he's likely to do the same thing. Wow. And um, if there are questions about how OSU and WSU are exercising their power, there are plenty of future opportunities for the departing members to be heard on those issues. So they can come back to court and say, we don't like this decision. Um, and, and the judge will have the opportunity to rule on it. But the, the, the key problem with what's going on right now is that the PAC-12 is paralyzed because they don't know who's in charge. And that's what the judge needs to prevent is a, is a very important, you know, multiple state association being totally paralyzed with hundreds of millions of dollars on the line.
0: Matthew Wand is with us, attorney, Lewis and Clark uh, graduate law school. Uh, Matthew, give me an idea. You know, we we have heard all along that mediation is going on uh, parallel to the preparation and the discovery and. Originally, I was told by both attorneys on both sides that no, we're far away. Now they're saying we can't disclose that. I kind of wonder, is there a settlement? Give us an idea of kind of how that works, how the mediation and the settlement discussions work in parallel to the litigation.
1: Yeah, most cases do settle before there's a decision at at trial or a decision by a judge. And um, if you look through the, if you look, read through the bylaws as I have, you know, there are... The, the member schools and the Board of Directors can make amendments and can make decisions. And so, uh, you know, I imagine what they're doing is talking about where the money's going to go, how much is, this is going to hurt Oregon State and Washington State, um, and, and keep in mind, too, that the clock is ticking here. Um, the disillusioned section of the bylaws say that only members get an equal share of the assets. So if, as soon as they're, this notice to withdraw becomes uh, final in, you know, sometime next summer, July 1st or August 1st, depending on how you read it. Um, If the PAC club dissolves after that, none of the departing schools get anything. So they would only be entitled to what they would otherwise receive between now and then, which is their share of the $420 million. Uh, Along the way, though, the um, Oregon State and Washington State have to think about potential liabilities from the sort of lawsuit in the Bay Area. Yeah. Uh, and, and what happens, if, you know, we've got a Comcast payment that they're going to have to make because of the overpayments during the, the, the prior administration. All of those things have to be talked about and considered, and the board of directors is not only entitled but obligated to hold back whatever money is necessary in order to cover those debts and obligations. So the notion that the departing schools can just take their – their normal percentage, like they always would, and move along their happy, merry way. That doesn't make any sense at all because nobody knows how much revenue the Pac-12 will have in the future to cover those unknown liabilities.
0: Matthew, I, you know, George Klyovkov is in the middle of this as well. He doesn't appear to be contesting anything, and he is is sort of indicated that to the court. What does he mean by he's not contesting this, but yet he's a
1: party to the lawsuit? Well, he has to be a party to the lawsuit because he was one of the people taking an action that they were trying to stop, right? He sent the email and said, I'm inviting all of these departing members to sit in and, and vote at this meeting. I, I don't I don't agree. I mean, he may say that he's not taking a position or that he doesn't have a, an opinion on the matter, but his actions say differently when you read through his emails. I mean, it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. clear. He doesn't want Oregon State and Washington State to be in charge. He wants the departing schools to be there as well, and I don't know why. I, I can't speculate as to why, but it, it really looks to me like his actions are suggesting he wants the protection of those other schools, and uh, maybe he maybe he figures that it it'll help him with his severance pay.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe he, you know that was a <laughs> that was a weird thing too for me. If we could, if we can just have a conversation here, is you know he appeared. Didn't appear. I mean, he out and out told me, and, and it it's in the discovery. He texted me, and he said when they were down to Stanford and Cal and Oregon State and Washington State, he texted me, we're down to, you know, I have four board members. That appears in the discovery, and yeah. I was not surprised like to see it in there because I thought, I was looking back through my messages with him, and I thought, gosh, he, he said, like he acknowledged on the day after all the schools left that he was down to four board members, and now he is trying to jump to the other side of it and i just can't understand you know what legal advice he got that caused him to to you know move to the other side of the river so to speak
1: well maybe it was maybe it was practical advice but but keep in mind too john if 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 the court decides that this provision has multiple meanings that are all reasonable okay then the court can and must look at other pieces of evidence to decide what it means and who should win. And one of those key pieces of evidence is the conduct of the parties before they understood that they were going to have this dispute. That is extremely powerful evidence for what the parties intended when they when they wrote out and agreed to the bylaws. And in this instance, going back almost two years now, we all know what they believed because they, they acted on it with USC and UCLA and then followed up with it in writing and affidavits and declarations and under oath. Everybody knows what they thought at the time, and they're only changing their position now because they're scared that the chickens have come home to roost and they might lose out on some cash.
0: It's fascinating to me. As we talk about the two sort of piles of money, the the media rights revenue distributions for this year – from uh, playoff and NCAA tournament distributions in this fiscal year. Of course, the liabilities of Comcast, the lawsuits, seem to be on one side for me. And then on the other side, it's future revenue, everything that's happening after July of 2024. Is it really that clear? Or you had mentioned earlier sort of, you know, the board members have into account for you know, the potential liabilities, like is it, is there, is there a little murkiness in the middle for you or do you see a line of delineation on July 1,
1: 2024? Yeah, well, it's a little bit of both. There is a, there is a line on July 1, of 2024, but there are also multiple provisions throughout the bylaws that allow the board of directors to hold back money in order to, to account for um, liabilities, unknown liabilities in some instances. I mean, it's not like these departing members are going to, to be entitled to revenues for the next ten years. So that if there's another Comcast fiasco, for example, uh-huh. that they can just kind of take a haircut for the next ten years and pay that debt off, they're gone. And and so the the, the remaining members have to take that into account. They have obli- they have fiduciary obligations to take those types of issues into account because they. I mean, what are they going to do? They'll, go sue USC in Southern right. California and say, you owe us five million bucks on this liability, but like, that's not gonna happen. So they have to be responsible with the cash that's there. Uh, now, now they have, a, they have a lot of other assets as well, of course, right, they have the Pac-12 network, there's some assets there, and, and, and if they really needed the fire sale to cover debts, they could, but that doesn't mean that it's prudent for them to send all the cash out the door and then hope for the best.
0: We're talking to Matthew Wand, he is an attorney, uh, he specializes in these kinds of cases. This is right in his wheelhouse, not so much in mine. Matthew, let me ask you, on the idea of notice of withdrawal, you've read the bylaws. Washington, USC, UCLA, they've issued news releases. They've talked publicly about it. Um, I've noticed there are, there are some semantics games being played by some of the parties where they're saying, you know, we intend to, we intend to join the Big Ten Conference, not... know we have joined already what constitutes notice of withdrawal and and how did you read the bylaws in that in that sense
1: the first answer to the question is that notice of withdrawal isn't defined clearly in the bylaws. there's there's no definition section that doesn't say this is what it means but and then when you look at section 2.3 it suggests differing meanings in different sentences so for example in, in the first part it says notice of withdrawal uh, prior to August uh, 1st, 2024 is a violation. You can get an injunction and then, you know, the conference can sue you for damages. It seems like in that sentence, notice of withdrawal means you've pulled your teams out of the conference and they're not playing this season. But then when you go down to the sentence that actually matters for, for this case, they talk about if a member delivers notice of withdrawal in violation of this chapter, then you lose your seat on the board of directors. That doesn't talk about money damages. It just says you're out on the board of directors. And that seems to me that it's, it's kind of an irrevocable withdrawal on a future date, right? Yeah. And so so, so when I look at it, and this wasn't written perfectly, but it seems To me and the the judge could make this decision if he wanted to he could say you know I think you gave a notice of withdrawal that's irrevocable and effective in the future so you've lost your board seat but since your teams are still playing and you're still following through with your other obligations to the conference then these other remedies that are in section 3 are not applicable and they just don't matter I haven't seen, I mean, the lawyers haven't made that that argument directly in quite that way, but um, that seems to be a a prudent way of looking at those particular sections that that could end up ruining the day.
0: What does the actions of the board, or how does that play into maybe Judge Libby's decision, given, you know, when UCLA and USC left, they were not allowed to sit in on board meetings or have a vote. When Colorado left, same thing. Um, you know, k- k- will that be held up by Oregon State and Washington State as evidence of, hey, forget what the bylaws say or the ambiguity in the bylaws. This is what actually happened. Does the precedent or the status quo, does that matter?
1: Yes, and, and there's a concept in the law called unclean hands. And what that says is that when you come to a court in equity, if you have acted unfairly or dishonestly, then, then the court is, is is not likely to give you the relief that you're asking for, all right? And and in this instance, these members were obligated in other sections of the bylaws to act in good faith, to act openly and transparently and honestly with the other members. I don't think there's any question that the 10 departing schools acted in secrecy and not in good faith in dealing with the PAC-12 conference. And so now when they're complaining that they, might, that they might be treated unfairly by the two schools that are left holding the bag, it not only rings hollow from a practical sense, but also from a legal sense. Um, the court is likely, I think should, uh, consider that the two schools that have been acting honestly and openly from the very beginning and consistently are the ones more likely to continue to do so in the future and treat the departing schools fairly than the ones that were making deals in the back room were in secrecy.
0: That's fantastic insight. We're talking to Matthew Wand. Uh, I have so many other questions. That I mainly, though, just want to get from you. You, you mentioned G- Judge Gary Leiby. He ruled from the bench on the temporary restraining order. You think he'll again do that, or how, how frequent or how common is that for a judge in a case like this to just rule from the bench or... Uh, or maybe say, hey, I need some time with it?
1: Uh, You know, I I guess it's – I can't tell you how many times I've sat at council table and and had my my, uh, chest drop into my stomach when the court says, I'm just going to rule from the bench. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a scary prospect, but considering the thoughtfulness of the briefs, and the the simplicity of the issue from a legal standpoint, right? It's not like the judge needs to go and research and read 50 different cases from around the country to help him make this decision. Um, because of that, I think it's 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 possible. I think about a 60-40, maybe 70-30 chance that he rules from the bench and then maybe follows up with a written decision, a written opinion. Because when they go when they go to the appeal. He's going to want to have his reasoning clearly laid out in writing, so that the court of appeals can consider it and make their decision uh, with the benefit of his full legal reasoning. Um, and if he, you know, if he just rules on the bench and doesn't write anything out, uh, it, it's not as strong uh, of an opinion on appeal.
0: Matthew, um, you've been fantastic here. I just have a couple more, if you don't mind hanging out yeah, for a minute
1: more. But of course. Um,
0: You've been there, okay? So you mentioned being in the courtroom; your heart drops. Can you get a sense generally when you're in court of what the judge is going to do based on the questions and kind of the tone of the questioning, or is that you know fifty fifty?
1: You know, it's I, I can, and it's easy, I mean, it's easier for me to have that insight than when I'm playing poker with strangers. Um, <laughs> you you can get an idea. You know, for example, the the judge is always going to want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to make their record. So everybody gets to make their argument. He's probably not going to cut people off and certainly not in a rude way, not not in this case anyway. Um, You know, but if he he starts, you know, kind of moving people along and, and, um, you know, often when they understand the winning side's arguments, they'll kind of shorten their time just a little bit and when the when the person they think is likely to lose stands up uh, they probably probe them a a, a little bit more uh if, try to expose the weaknesses in their arguments mm. um so is you know it's, you, you kind of get a flavor uh for which way the judge is leaning based on the questions and and who's getting cut off and who isn't
0: all right so i've read the briefs i've looked at the discovery um, I, uh, I think the attorneys on both sides are, are probably really good at what they do. But I want to know from your standpoint, as you read the briefs, what's the strongest argument for the 10 departing schools?
1: There's, I think they're probably the strongest argument is that there, are, that there is an ambiguity in this section about withdrawal and that the ambiguity um, should lead the court to have a greater direct involvement in the ongoing management of the pac Twelve. I, I don't think that they have really very strong arguments to retain their seats, right? So, I think for, if I'm a departing, if I'm a member of or if I'm a lawyer representing the departing school, in my mind, a home run is if the judge maintains some sort of control. And a very easy way for me to run back into court if I don't like what's going on, you know, kind of continuing oversight. Um, but as far as if just denying all relief and having the court say, yeah, I, I think all 12 of you are still on the, the board of directors and uh, Clive Poff is right and he can, he can bring you all in. I, I just don't see it.
0: I appreciate you. Uh, I'm going to be in court tomorrow. And I don't know if I'm going to need a pillow or I'm going to be on the edge of my seat, but I feel like I'm smarter already after talking with you. Is there anything I should be listening for or looking for that that you're interested in? Like, you know, if you, from your legal standpoint, a legal mind thinking this.
1: The the, the questions that the judge asks are are just the, they're the whole thing. Like, you'll be able to tell what the judge is concerned about in his logic and in his legal reasoning with 100% certainty based upon the questions that he asks. And so if he's not asking any questions at all, for example, about, you know, the last sentence or about the particular format for a notice of withdrawal, then you know that that's something he's already decided. Now, maybe you've lost that, maybe you've won that, but he's already figured it out. So I I would pay attention to the questions and, and try and create a little... You know, write the X's and O's on your notepad based on what he's asking, and then you'll know if it's a cover two or a, or a man-to-man.
0: <laughs> I love it. Uh, you have a prediction what you think will happen?
1: Yeah, I think, I think he rules that, that the two are in charge, um, I, and I think he probably opens the door for some sort of, of an expedited, hey, if you departing schools think you're being treated unfairly, come see me and I'll give you a hearing within 24 hours type of thing. Um, I, I think that's the most likely outcome. But the, the arguments about the calendar and, you know, December 4th being a real thing, and we need to make decisions now because if we don't, college athletes will be negatively impacted, I, those are so compelling in terms of irreparable injury. I, I just don't see this dragging out, and I don't see him allowing for 12 schools to get in a, in a mud wrestling match. Um all the while watching the the student athletes get hurt so i I think he's going to make that call he's going to remind them about their fiduciary obligations, and, and and then he's going to maintain some control but they're they're going to get to make the decisions they need to make as the remaining schools and and you know the worst outcome would be this limbo that we're all living in for the last eight weeks like that's the worst outcome i don't think this judge is prepared to allow that to happen
0: matthew wand i appreciate you Thank your parents for sending you to law school for me. I, uh, I I'm benefiting from that.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's we'll do it again sometime.
0: All right. Thank you. There he is. See, I feel smarter. My head was spinning. 366 pages of discovery. I read the briefs. I thought, hey, both sides are making really good points here. Um, I want you to mull that over and know that I will be there tomorrow in Whitman County Superior Court. I'll be there with Judge Libby. I will be uh, joining this radio show. If I can step out of the courtroom, i got to be honest with you. I don't know if they're going to take a recess here or there. If they do, I will step out. I'll call into the show. And uh, we'll be tracking it all right here on this radio program. And you can read it all at johnkanzano.com. Great stuff from the attorney. Anna's popping in the studio. Punch it audio. Five at five. All of that stuff. We interrupt this broadcast
1: with a special announcement from the
0: Baltimore. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but...